And always when I go for my freedom, I free others. Mm. That is the nature uh, of freedom. And, and so uh, I had to become brave enough to get free myself. Welcome to episode 23 of the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Now, I've been very fortunate to meet so many wonderful people in the coaching community at various events I've attended in the UK and in particular in the US over the last five or six years. And um, what fascinates me, fascinates me in general actually, not just with coaches, but with civilians, shall we say, civilians too, um, is how different we all are. We're all so very different. And yet at some level, at some level, we're all fundamentally the same. We do seem to all have pretty much the same desires. Perhaps some of those is being seen and being heard and in essence, living a full-on experience of our senses, what some might call a sensual life. <laughs> if we're not living the full experience of our senses and not expressing ourselves, we're missing out on so much of what is here for us to experience in this thing called life. And my guest today helps people do just that, helping people really get in touch with who they are and what wants to be expressed through them and takes them on a journey beyond that discovery. We met at a coaching event in North Hollywood, I think actually, yeah, in 2013. And at that event, she told a very powerful story actually it's, um, about her commitment to her true self and her true expression. And I hope she's going to share that story with us today. She says she prefers to be called an instigator rather than a coach. I'm quite intrigued by that, or indeed a guide. So let's hear why that is. Here's a big warm welcome to my friend in Philly, Philadelphia. Hello, Monica Day. Hi, Phil. It's good Hello. to be here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. So before we go into that story um, that you shared in the room, can you tell us um, a little bit about what got you into the coaching profession, into the instigator profession? Yeah, um, up, perhaps yeah. up to the point that got you into that room. Yeah, I can. And, and you're assuming that I actually have the powers of memory that many <laughs> years back to tell that exact story again. But we'll we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll get there. We'll see if we get there. It was to do with, um, I think, having a job offer. Ah, there you go. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, coaching, uh, I really feel like I fell backwards and butt first into coaching. I mean, I, uh, I called myself the accidental coach for a really long time. Um, I, uh, I was, uh, what I realized, let me, let me just give it some context. What I realized was that I've been coaching in some way for so long before it was called that even. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, and I didn't know, 
that. And I certainly didn't know that the, the skills that I had that now have added up into, you know, this profession, uh, I didn't know you could charge for them. <laughs> I certainly didn't think you could make a living at that, right? Um, so I feel like I sort of gradually woke up into my myself as a coach rather than kind of choosing it. Um, so the, so the, the, the consciousness was sort of birthed when really people kept asking me, I, I was a copywriter, I was a professional copywriter for about 12 years and uh, kind of wrote marketing copy, had a very kind of specialized thing that I did. And people started asking me to coach and mentor them when they became a copywriter. Uh, and I kept saying no, <laughs> I kept turning it away. And then finally I said, wait a minute, you know, people are like offering you money for something. You should do that. Um, so that was kind of technically the first time I got paid as a coach. And that's probably, um, daughter's 15. That's probably a little more somewhere between 12 and 15 years ago. Um, the, the gradual uh, progression to the coaching I do now kind of then became um, really me kind of leading myself in my life through, through things as they were kind of coming up and going like, Oh, this has to be shared with other people. There must be other people that are working on this, you know, let me. Uh, so it really was um, just this drive that I have that I feel like I've always had uh, to never do, to, to do everything first and never do anything alone. Mm, love that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm always the one saying, sure, I'll open that door and walk through. Oh yes. Here's this, uh, path that's calling me. And then I take a couple steps down it and I go, Oh, this is some good shit. And I turn around and I go, Hey everybody. <laughs> And, and that, as it turns out, is this thing called coaching. Mm, I love that. So um, what got you from, you know, coaching people that you were working with in the copyright business mm -hmm. into the room where we met, sure, which was yeah. a prosperous coach, uh, intensive, fantastic book. Um, yeah. What, 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 what got you into that room? Yeah. So, once I realized that this thing I'd uncovered called coaching could, could then be connected with, could be a skill or a tool that could be used in the realm of things that I really believed in. Um, you know, I had spent 25 years working in areas of um, racial justice, uh, social justice, um, you know, class, gender, power, like a lot of the social issues that we're seeing happening right now. It's been about, 25 years doing that. Um, and then I started on this whole journey around, as you were mentioning earlier, sensuality and sexuality. And um, those were things that were really important to me. Like I saw them as foundational uh, to, you know, like all of life, right? All, all people. And uh, so I think that my, my coaching as a, as a career slash calling uh, really was born when I realized that I could take this, again, this skill, this thing that I apparently was good at and, and didn't know about, um, and, I could, and I could join it or marry it with these fundamental core beliefs that I had 
Um, and, and that's when it started to get really compelling to me. And I, and I saw the impact it had on people's lives. And then I kind of realized that if that many people's lives could be impacted, that I could start to have an impact on all the things I believed in social justice awareness, right? All of this in, in, in such a profound way. Um, now all that, sounds really incredible and elegant, but I'm also a single parent of two girls and I needed to also, right, have that be something, if I was going to do that, if that was the calling, um, it also had to sustain me. So uh, I, I had that moment and I'm sure a lot of coaches, you know, can uh, relate to this moment where you go, oh, um, I have no idea how to make this thing an actual business. <laughs> I have no idea, right, how to do this. Um, and I had, I had actually known uh, from some leadership training several years before, I had known one of the co-authors of The Prosperous Coach, Rich Litvin. We knew one another. And uh, he had gone on to, you know, become the coach that he is today and to write this book. And mutual friends said, hey, you know, did you hear that Rich wrote a book? <laughs> I know, I did not know that. Um, and I, you know, I reached out to him and, and that was sort of the, that was the path into the room where we met. Phil. Um, so I don't know whether you're willing to share the story that I referred to, whether you can recall that because, um, to me, I remember that it was very powerful. So, um, yeah. 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 yeah so, so going from, uh, well, let's say I'm trying to think of the shortest way into that story. You talked about my. Um, uh, practice and that expression and sensuality are important parts of my practice. Yeah. So there was a point when I started, I created a one woman show. Um, and in fact, I've, I've since then, this is something I work with other people on because one person, you know, or solo shows are just an incredible vehicle for transformation. Um, how do I know that? <laughs> <laughs> Because I did one. Right. Um, and, and my show uh, really explored some of these really deep themes that I was mentioning in my life. And one of them was sexuality. And the show's title was Song of the Sacred Whore. And, uh, you know, I, I joked about that a lot. That was sort of shocking to people. And I thought, well, Dolly Parton can do the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> right. Surely Monica Day can do you know, Song of the Sacred Whore, and this is going to be okay. And, you know, it was a very personal exploration. And then I also, you know, I grew up with a very um, conservative religious father. Um, so it had a lot of those elements in it as well, right? Sort of what was the impact of that conservative religious um, upbringing on myself as a woman and as a sexual being. Uh, so I thought it was a very viable, powerful thing to do a show on personally. Um, and at the time that I was doing that show, I hadn't, uh, I, I had not figured out this whole equation of how to make a living coaching. And I had been self-employed for a while and I was a little exhausted by it. And I had, I had a fantasy, Phil. I had a fantasy about this thing called a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those, yeah. You remember those? <laughs> and and it went beyond that. I mean, it was so kinky. I thought of this thing called um, 
a paid vacation, right? Or a sick day. You stay home and you're sick and they pay you for it, right? You re- I mean, you have a vague recollection of some of these I things. do. It's been a while, but I do, do you remember? Yeah. Was it six years or so? But I, I, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought this was a pretty sexy thing. And so um, I, for the first time in years, went out back out into the you know corporate working world and I applied and long story short while I'm working on this show I'm simultaneously job searching I find one it's you know it's a juicy back to sort of where I was when I was a cushy corporate person you know it was a juicy six-figure sales income I could still do that you know it was like yes right and there's something about about that and um and I, I was pretty clear with them that I, I do some theater, you know, I do some things, right? I didn't hold anything back. And um, they uh, made me this really yummy offer and somehow nobody looked me up on the internet before they made me this really delicious offer, silly them. Um, and when they did, they found uh, the title of my show, Song of the Sacred Core, and they also found my website, The Sensual Life. Dot com And that was kind of what, you know, I've been calling my business for a long time. And uh, within probably a half an hour of the CEO that I had just had lunch with and just signed the contract with, um, the, the recruiters called and rescinded the offer. And, uh, and, and a long conversation ensued, which was quite painful. And they said... Um, that I would not be employable at the level at which I was qualified, right? Meaning you can be a barista, um, but I would not be employable at the level at which I was qualified if there was anything on the internet that connected me with sex or sexuality in any way. So what was the impact of that, really? And, and um, how have you used that experience? Yeah. Well... You know, Phil, it felt like a back door closed for me at that point. Um, you know, I, I don't know I don't know if this is true for everyone, but like I said, I've been self-employed for a really long time and uh, before coaching, you know, in a different industry. But I think that we always have this idea in the back of our minds, you know, if this, if this doesn't work out, if this all, you know, goes to shit, I can always go and blah, 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 right? And what happened for me is, and I could, I mean, that's the thing. It's, they weren't saying you can't, they just put a requirement out there that in order to live X, Y, Z kind of life, there's this essential piece of you that can't be out there that you can't talk about. Right. And number one, that price was too high for me to pay. Um, Number two, I shared this publicly, you know, I shared it online, not only in that room that we were in. And um, the impact, I mean, it's even moving still to think about. I hadn't realized how many people my work had touched, Um, just my writings and workshops. And, you know, and I think you have this idea, again, as a coach, you know, it's like, it's hard for us sometimes to know what is the impact that we're having. Right. Um, And I had so many people write to me supportively and said, you know, the impact you've had and very personal people I'd worked with, you know, and said the impact that you've had on me 
uh, in my life, you know, and they would share some kind of story. And I thought, okay, okay, you know, I'm apparently not meant to have a cushy six figure paycheck. Sick <laughs> With day sick job. days. Yep. Damn it. Um, and, uh, and it just really, it just, it changed, it changed my uh, approach to coaching, to my business, to, um, it, it just had me kind of wake up to what I was really up to and to stop feeling, I don't know, bad or, I mean, we all have that thing. People say, what do you do? Right. And you have the inner groan. They're like, Oh God, here we go. Right. And we have all these conversations in our community. Do I say coach, you know, you introduced me as an instigator, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, we are, we are simultaneously trying to, um, stand proud as coaches and develop this into, you know, the powerful, uh, industry that that we know reflects the power of the work we do and then we're also simultaneously hanging our head in shame because you know there's so many coaches out there that that you know frankly shouldn't be coaching I'll just say that um, and there's everybody out there wants to be a coach so it's a lot of wannabes um, right so so what do we do about that right are we um, are we only as good as the company we keep <laughs> <laughs> so what do you what do you think we I mean that's a great point. So what do you think we can do about that? Fire that back at you. Yeah. It's an interesting dance for me. I'll I'll tell you what's been important for me has been and it's been a journey, right? Because I think that we go through these phases. Um one phase is that we want to be um credible. That's a big thing, right? Credibility. And that's, and it's important, right? To have credibility. Uh, and so I think there's this phase as a coach uh, where in order to feel credible, you have this idea that you need, um, I don't know, uh, letters after your name and certificates on your wall. And you need these trappings of, um, that, of, of credibility as we know them. Right. So you see a lot of people going out and doing that. But one of the things I've noticed is that then uh, they become almost separate from it. Oh, I'm doing the three principles and the five this and the blah, 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 that. Right. And I'm, I, and I, I'm, you know, and I'm, I hope I don't offend people, but I will. It's the nature <laughs> of the game. Uh, <laughs> it's the nature of being me. Um, and, and so I think that in that, phase is when it's the most challenging uh, because it's because that's not where credibility as a coach comes from. Right. So um, I think for me, it's hanging on getting through that phase, not getting sucked down the wind tunnel of it. Right. The one that tells you that you have to uh, jump through 15 hoops and, you know, do all these things and you get to the, the, the soul of who you are as a coach, right? There's a soul and an essence uh, in the same way that a person has a soul and an essence. So does a coach, right? And you know, in our lives, when we get to the soul or the essence of who we are, a lot of that's when finally, you know, hallelujah, the woman who just turned 50 this year. So I'm, I'm getting this feeling in my life cycle right now, right? It's like that place where, I'm not very confused about who I am anymore. You can hurl 
things at me and I might go like, oh, ouch, that hurts. But a lot of times I'll be, it'll be like, whoo, wow. Okay. Let's look at that. Like it doesn't even stick. Right. And I think that from, so to me, I feel like that's the place when you get to that place as a coach, um, where you're really coming from the soul and essence of who you are and what you bring, like your unique sound in this space of coaching, uh, then it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It really, you can call it, you can call yourself like, I don't know, the clown from Timbuktu and people will be like, okay, all right, I'm down. What's how, how much? <laughs> Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm hearing, um, I mean, it's certainly not all that you're saying, but you're touching on this. We, we hear this distinction a lot, the difference between doing and being. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, um, doing um, as a verb of coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, people I speak to do very often get caught up in the whole label. Um, yeah. When I went through yeah. Steve Chandler's coaching school, there was a group of three or four of us, we... I won't share what we called it, but we picked up on this point and we called it something completely different to coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you're just touching on that point really about being because certainly for me, things changed when I let go of all the trying actually of, of simply trying to coach mm-hmm. and indeed trying to be somebody a fantastic question. I'm sure I've mentioned it many times on this, and all of my clients hear me ask this question. It's from Robert Holden, where he asks, what's it like to be you when you're not trying to be somebody? <laughs> yeah, and just really great. allow that person. Yeah. It's like we don't have to try and be anybody. We just allow who we are to come through. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And, and for me, uh, it works out pretty well given that the nature of my coaching is to bring people really back to not that any of us knows exactly when we lost this, but a lot of us lose along the way, the essence of who we are. Right. And so that just happens to work out for me. (laughs) Uh, It means that I always get to be working on the thing um, that that allows me to hold my head up as a coach. Right. So, so you mentioned um, that clients initially were, you know, coming to you right from, you know, off the bat, basically um, offering, will you, will you coach me? Will you help me with this in mm-hmm. your existing business? Yeah. Um, how has that, you know, developed, you know, how did, how did that develop? Uh, where were clients coming from and indeed where are they coming from now? Yeah. Dude, I have no idea. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Everybody stops listening to this podcast now. No, 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 come back. Uh, No, when I I say I have no idea, I I sometimes really feel like I've got this, uh, uh, I don't know, some some frequency at some pitch that the right people hear. And I feel like we all do and not just me. Right. Um, So I, I will say, uh, for many reasons, um, partly because I just don't, <clears throat> I don't love the whole industry of the, uh, the internet industry of, of, of getting people on board. Right. And I, uh, and I did a lot of that as a copywriter and I just, I have not, I've done none of it as a coach, really very little of it. I mean, I'm on social media, but 
So my practice is almost a hundred percent, some type of word of mouth. Um, but the, but I, when I looked at it, a couple things though, it was word of mouth, but then also um, I perform a lot. Like I mentioned, I did a one person show. Uh, I, I was just performing. I'm a writer. I, I write poetry and uh, I do spoken word, you know, and performance poetry. And I really wasn't doing it. Here's, here's the thing. I wasn't doing it to get clients. I've been doing that since before I knew I was coach, right? I just started doing, I started doing that so I could breathe. Right. Uh, poetry is my first language. And every once in a while, I got to get out there and I got to talk to people in my first language because this whole thing with grammar and sentences and, you know, all of that just becomes a bit onerous for me. So uh, people would see me um, and 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 what I was talking about when I would stand up and talk about poetry was just, you know, real truthful things. Um, and that was, again, one of, another one of those like aha moments. People would come up and I thought, wow, can I really say this in public? Am I, I'm really going to stand up here and say this thing? Okay. Uh, and always when I go for my freedom, I free others. Hmm. That is the nature uh, of freedom. And, and so uh, I had to become brave enough to get free myself. Um, and, and I think when I say the, the, you know, the unique sound of me, that's, that's the unique sound of me is that there's something in, in how I be in the world that gives people permission, uh, to be what they're supposed to be in the world and to get free of whatever they, you know, are trying to be that, that is, you know, their layer of bullshit. So what I have found long answer to your question is that when I run around and I just be me in vocal expressive ways and I magnify that sound just a little bit like on a stage or on social media or by writing something down, it's, um, it's like this radar that goes out and the people that are supposed to find me, find me. And don't think that I haven't frustrated many a brand marketer <laughs> saying that. Because they really want to know what my demographic is, damn it, <laughs> Bill. Who do you is serve? That... Tell me, any clients, and I will get them for you. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how much they make. I don't, I don't care. I, don't, I care that they want to be free. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, and I can relate to that in my own way, listening to you, I can, and I'm sort of thinking, well, um, I have people uh, really connect with me through, you know, how I've shown up pretty pr primarily actually on social media. And it is the most personal writing mm -hmm. that people connect with. I always say that people yeah. connect most deeply to like that humanness that we, that we try and hide actually. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so just show that. Yeah. <laughs> Which apparently does take bravery and courage and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I know this will be a slight beer left, but, but I have a, um, that's a pet peeve of mine. That's a, a pet peeve of mine is when people say, oh, um, so when you become someone who shares vulnerably regularly, People get this idea, maybe they've said it to you, 
oh, well, it's easier for you than it is for me. Oh, that's, that's hard for me. I mean, you just do that. Oh, I won't curse too much on your show, Phil, because I don't want to oh, you know. curse away. <laughs> <laughs> but I quickly tell them that that is bullshit. Um, and, and that's a thing that we do. Right. And that's, and again, I'll just keep speaking to coaches cause I know that's your audience for here. Um, I, I don't allow people to put me on some kind of like pedestal. Something's easier for me. Like I am not your guru. I don't want to be your guru. Get me off the pedestal. Right. Cause then anytime people do that and it feels so good to our ego, you know, mm, yum, yum, yum. Let me just eat. Mm, yum, yum, yum. You know, the ego is just like, the cookie monster with right. it, right? Um, and it's like, it's, it's so unhealthy for us and for our clients, you know? So I get it that, you know, it's not any easier. So what do you think it is that's, that's driving that within you to share so personally, so um, openly? And what are you, what are you really demonstrating to people that, that, that work with you and, and helping to, for them to get in touch with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I've, I've never encountered any, uh, oppression that is good for people. I've never encountered any repression, oppression, <laughs> uh, that advances, the world in any significant ways. Um, <clears throat> so I think that it's that part of me that talks to that part of everybody else that knows uh, that the cultural oppressions and, re and, the, and the individual repression that we're engaging in as a result um, is killing us. Right. So, uh, I don't know when you say, what am I driven to? Uh, it's like, why do you get up in the morning? <laughs> why are you driven Phil when the sun comes up to open your eyes and get out of bed and make a cup of tea and figure out what to make of the day, you know, because that's what there is to do because we're here. <laughs> Right. And we try to, and it's funny, right? Cause as coaches, it's like, everything's like, what's your why, you know, what's your why geez to just fully live my life. That's not, that's not, that's not enough. That's not good enough. I need something else. Like this is awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, and, and uh, look, I'm right with you, Monica. There's a, there, there's, I've, I have many peeves about the, um, the, the coaching profession actually. And, and, and part of that is how this podcast came about. As I, as I say, I want to, you know, peel back the pool crap and, mm -hmm. um, really show what, what it, what it's really like. And I, and I always think that helping people is much simpler <laughs> than we often think it is. When we're trying to be credible. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I mean, we have to make, when we're trying to be credible, we have to make it look difficult or like magic, right? Yeah. Because that's the only way I'll get you to pay me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, totally. I know we're poking, we're poking holes at this, but I think it's like anything. Um, 
the beauty in just about anything is when you get to the simplicity of it. Right. Absolutely. You, you know what? That's a great marketing strategy, of course, isn't it? That, that it seems to work in places that, well, it's really complicated. It's very difficult. It takes a lot of magic and it's all about you. You need to be this particular person, but I can help you with that. Mm, mm, I just threw up in my mouth. A little. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So um, what do your practice look like now? What are you up to? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of services and packages and whatever are you are you are you yeah. offering and what really is buzzing you at the moment? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm coming out of my need for credibility phase, which is really exciting because uh, I'm just blowing shit up left and right, which is really fun. <laughs> um, no, I'm, 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 I've always been someone that uh, it's like I'm always creating you know, because number one, that's fun. And number two, that's kind of who we are. Right. So, um, I'm, there's something I'm sort of hearing on the wind right now that I'm trying to respond to, uh, meaning culturally, right. There's, um, uh, if you take a broad view and I won't get into politics, the, the nitty gritty of politics per se, but if you just pull up and you take this really broad view, I think it's hard not to notice that we're in this period, right, of like extreme duality and, and forces um, are, you know, sort of jockeying for uh, position in the world right now, right? Um, and I keep looking for uh, where's the place for my magic in this particular, you know, environment. And I think that it has to do with, um, kind of what is the essence of, of freedom and what does that look like, right, in how do we take leadership around that? How do we, how do we create? I, I'm very interested right now in um, culture making and in, um, you know, this place of expression is super important right now, right? If you're on Facebook, right, you, you can, that's, that's, that's a place or Twitter or whatever. So social media tells us where we are when it comes to our cultural expression um, and we're in a, and we're in a challenging place right now. So um, one of the things I've realized is that uh, I can work with a few to affect many. And so I'm, I'm actively looking now for those few uh, that want to move into practices of um, extreme freedom Right. Uh, so there's a pro what does that sound like? Well, I have a program that I'm rolling out called the infinite woman. So that's the one where I work with women and diving into all of, all of what that is, all of what it is, right. To be the feminine, to be creation, to be life force energy, to be, um, all of the magical things that women are, uh, and yet we've been stuck in a context that in many ways minimizes um, uh, our magic and we minimize our own, right? So that's one thread. And then I have another thread where I'm going to be working with uh, entrepreneurs, people who want to start to do um, business in really different ways, um, creating cultures in those businesses. That's going to be an international um, program uh, where I'm kind of bringing entrepreneurs together from as many continents as I can uh, and put them into a program. And, and that's going to be really looking at everything, you know, 
the politics of where you're from, the social structure of where you're from, uh, and everything to sexuality to uh, right all that's where all the pieces that's that's major disruptive program. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to quietly uh, dismantle systems of cultural repression and oppression, but just like secretly so that I don't get imprisoned or killed. Of that, <laughs> beautiful. You know, I'm going to read. I'm going to read something here. It's from. Um, text of your current cover photo on Facebook. Okay. So I want you to tell me a little bit more about this. So take me a okay. minute to read it. Yep. It says, the body doesn't lie, mm. which can be very inconvenient or beautiful, depending on exactly what your truth or your desire lie uh, is in any given moment. Maybe it's just my feed, but something is getting lost about the feminine. And it's disconcerting. On one hand, there is this political narrative, girl power, rape culture, mansplaining. I've never heard of that before, but it makes perfect sense. Okay, mansplaining, um, Amazon, superhero, etc., etc. On the other hand, there is this marketing narrative, the feminine goddess as divine, as a man whisperer, a queen, who should be served and worshipped. Good grief. Okay. I'm, I'm exhausted already. Uh, does anyone else sit back and scratch their head and wonder, uh, where the fuck do I fit into this picture? How do all these pieces fit together? Do I have to be all that? What if I'm none of that? I mean, I'm none of that. Uh, or only pieces <laughs> of that, and only on a Saturday night after the kids go to bed. Um, and more important, how come everyone is still telling me who the fuck I need to be and what the fuck I need to do to be the thing I was born to be? Yeah, right. I mean, everyone, I agree. It happens, it happens to me too, right? I hear that as well. Um, listen, here's what I know, you say. Fuck all that noise. I love that. That's probably my favorite four words that you've ever written, Monica. <laughs> there is a voice inside of you that knows exactly who you are, how your unique version of feminine wants to be expressed. Yeah. Um, there is no one way to be a woman. Indeed, there's no one way to be a man. I'll add that. No, there there is, is no one way to express your feminine. So tell us more about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, hence the infinite woman. <laughs> and interestingly enough, I'm working a lot. I've been working a lot with men as well, so not just women on this this exact piece. And uh, I think it has to do with um, with the fact that from the minute we come in, uh, we're just being given all these ways that we're supposed to be. Uh, and it makes sense on one hand, right? Like I'm a parent, you're a parent. That's kind of our job, right? Um, and yet along the way, uh, these things that we're told we're supposed to be uh, get heavier and heavier yeah. over top of uh, the essence. Again, I'm back to the essence, the soul, the creature that we are. Um, and you know, again, like I said, in the culture, this is like raging, right? I mean, this is really, really raging. Um, and, and I think that the place where it's damaging us uh, is that all of these forces that we think are, um, are, are fighting or, or in some type of battle are in conflict uh, are actually meant to be complementary to one another right they are meant to 
be in a dance. And, and yes, that dance can have tension and struggle because tension and struggle is how we grow. Uh, but they're not meant to kill each other. <laughs> I really feel that because, um, you know, I do see a lot of this around and, you know, some of my very, very dear friends work with this kind of stuff, but I always um, like to ask really, okay, I mean, I'm all for it. It's like I, I read books, um, you know, and I get inspired by characters real people and and made up characters so i think there's a place for this but it is really down to how we use this am i using you know um some of the things you refer to am i using those as uh, an idea that i think i need to comply with or yeah. am i using those um for inspiration and liberation yeah you know it's interesting as you're saying that it, it dawns on me that it's it's the difference right between a stereotype and an archetype right? so a, a stereotype is uh, you know we rail against that because there's this idea that you're just putting you know if you you look at me and you say oh you know woman and you do some kind of rundown that means you're blah 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 you know you're emotional and you're bad at math and you're yada yada right <laughs> we do all we do that exactly. those are stereotypes but then um, you know, if you look at archetypes, uh, to me, that becomes a whole different conversation, right? I'm all of these things, you know, that's what I always thought was uh, powerful about, you know, study of mythology and looking at the ways in which, you know, ancient people's uh, um, myths and stories uh, about women, about men were always so rich, right? They're there's, you know, Athena, Athena, the, you know, warrior goddess and Aphrodite, the, you know, love, like, and, and what you could get when you, when you look at that is, oh, I have pieces of all of this in me. This is all alive in me, right? That's, that's very different than you're this one set of things. So can you share with us, um, you know, you've been in this game quite a long time. What's been like your biggest challenge? Um, well, I think it's, it's certainly the uh, cyclical nature of it from a financial perspective, right? There's like, there's the really awesome months and then there's the, you know, dry months and everything. In Feast and famine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, so that's can be a challenge, uh, you know, just navigating kind of a world that doesn't, you know, Oh, well, when would you like us to schedule that automatic payment in this day? Yeah, I got, I got nothing on that. You know, I have no idea when you should schedule that payment, but I'll get back to you on that. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, we're, we live in a paycheck world, but we're not really paycheck people. So that can be a challenge. Um, uh, it, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of the, the main thing. Um, Cause I can't imagine, I mean, there's other things, right? Uh, sometimes there's a feeling of being alone in this. Um, and yet weirdly, I don't know if this is true for all coaches. Coaching has made me an introvert which I didn't expect and I never would have been considered an introvert. Um, but coaching has like made, it, it has led me to needing a lot of time to actually be alone, right? Cause you're spending so much time and energy with people. Um, and I've been really fortunate as far as, uh, you know, just people like you and, and other colleagues really all around the world. 
so that part has been, you know, kind of amazing. So I really, I would say the biggest challenge has been uh, just the ups or downs. And I like to do unusual things. And I, I take on like, when I took on my power of one program, that was the program where I had people doing their own one person show, you know, so I did this like nine month program where uh, I had people who were not professional in any kind of way. They'd never written a script. They'd never stood, really stood up on stage and done anything like this. And by the end of nine months, they had explored their, their, the stories of their lives. They had come up with one to tell on a stage. They developed a 20 to 30 minute, most of them were 30 minute solo show. And they performed it on a professional stage in New York City. It was, you know, documented along the way, like this major program, right? Um, and I love doing stuff like that. You know, I love it. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're costly. You know, I, I, I have very expensive taste. <laughs> Um, in programs and and I do some really unique things you know with, mm. with people um, I'm I I'm an experiential um, generative cre I use creativity you know so that's I think the other thing is um, I get people a lot of times when they come to work with me they've been flirting with working with me for several years you know I usually know if someone doesn't like me right away I'm pretty sure that within three years I'll be working with them. That's like my sign. Isn't that bad? Like, like there's, you know, oh, really? The fact that, like, I, I, I have this one woman who, um, in fact, yeah, I think I might have met her at the same time I met you. Um, she was in that room when I was telling that story. And I happened to, uh, you know, have some cleavage going on that day, which I often do. Um, and uh, she was annoyed. She told me many, you know, years later, she told me she was annoyed by my cleavage. And I was like, really? <laughs> and she said, every time she saw me, she kept thinking, you know, could you just put those things away? <laughs> right. Uh, but what was stirring with her was, you know, she, she kind of thought, wow, why did, why does her freedom to be the way she is bother me so much? Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what she got was like, you know, why didn't she feel as free as I seem to feel? Right. So that's the instigator part. You know, I don't instigate because I go in and like poke at you or I say the annoying thing without being invited or anything like that. I just instigate by being in the room, hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and being you really and being me and being, yeah. you. And, and it really can be that simple. I, I have people approach me and the, the most common thing is uh, they'll say something like, I want more love in my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could probably help you you know feel that at least yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like yeah me too we should talk. <laughs> <laughs> well we all do of course <laughs> we all do um so what actually another thing that really that fascinated me there you didn't dwell uh, i asked you a simple question really about what are the biggest challenges but you didn't want to dwell on that which is, which is fabulous absolutely fabulous <laughs> so um a couple of more questions who, who or what has influenced um your your coaching and um you know, what the kind of work you're doing with clients right now? Hmm. That's a great question, Phil, because it stumps me. Um, well, definitely, you know, the, uh, the work I did for that 25 years was with a nonprofit organization. And uh, there were, there was just a core group of women uh, 
there. Uh, and, and we worked with a very specific process. It was called Be Present. They're still an organization. Um, and we worked to um, uh, do a very specific process that I don't really see very many places in terms of really helping people to get to, to, to know themselves you know, from a really core place and to be able to have conversations with other people uh, and really listen. And, you know, so it was a very specific process we used. And I had no idea at the time over that 25 years. It's funny. People say, oh, did you have a coaching certificate? I'm like, what? I did 25 years, <laughs> right? With like hun hundreds, if not more, you know, people using this very specific process that, um, I had no idea that that was building this foundation for me to be doing this work now. I was just doing it because it was an expression of, you know, something that felt important to me, uh, you know, in, in the world. So that was hugely influential, that particular group and those particular women. Um, and then funny enough, you know, my kids, <laughs> right? Because, uh, you know, look, I can, I can stand on a stage and perform or I can, whatever, I, I can do all the wonderful things that we do in the world. Uh, but I'll tell you who doesn't care and who keeps you honest, it's your kids. They, they do not care, you know? Totally. Uh, but, if, but I'll tell you what they do care about is when you're um, not being your word, right? Or when you're not walking your talk, when you're, right? And they, and they see all of it. They see all of it and they don't spare your ego. Yeah. So my kids have kept me honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly relate to that as well. And in, in fact, um, <laughs> uh, I made actually a, a, a conscious decision, a conscious choice, you know, when my boy was eight and separated with his mother, separated from his mother, when I separated from his mother, um, that I, I just wanted to be his friend and most loving guide rather than that whole authoritarian parenting mm. stuff policing and whatever mm. so yeah we're, we're 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 best friends but in that respect he's also seen it all you know warts and all he's seen oh, yeah. me at my best and most certainly at my worst many many times and mm -hmm. in that respect yeah he's probably my greatest my greatest coach so yeah. thank you for that so um finally then uh you know there will be coaches listening to this who um either just starting out or um you know, want to uh, increase their prosperity in their practice. Mm -hmm. um, if you had a bunch of those in a room and you just had a, a one-minute message for them, what might that be? It's mm -hmm. <clears throat> a good one. <laughs> um. Well, really, I would tell them it's not about them. Like, it's not about you. Uh, I, I work with new coaches. You know, I do work with some coaches. Uh, it's not the bulk of my practice by any means. You have to be a good coach to work with me. You can't suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's no all it says on your website, right? Yeah. It, it kind of does. It does. Uh, no, but seriously, I find, and, and I find this in new coaches a lot. Um, cause they're trying to be good coaches They're, you know, and, and this whole, um, well, I don't know if I'm going to be enough and I don't know if that's going to be enough value and da, da, da. And every single question that a new coach has about their practice is about them. 
every single time. And every single time I turn the lens around and I say, focus on the client. And it can be anything from the fee you charge them to the next question you ask them, whatever it is, you change that lens and then you've got to practice. Before that, you're mostly masturbating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I totally agree. Monica, it's been an absolute pleasure. I want to honor your time and the time of our listeners. So uh, bring it to a close there. But it's always a pleasure. I, I really thank you and value you as a, as a friend. Um, I'm so happy I was in, in the room uh, on that day four years ago. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for taking the time out to chat with us today. Thanks for having me, Phil. This was really fun. So that was Monica Day and her journey from copywriter to coach to instigator. Lots in this episode, so I'll just pick a few things out. Did you notice, just like so many other guests, she kept being asked to coach while she is in her previous work? That has to beg the question, how was she showing up to have people ask her that? Now maybe that's something for you to consider. I thought it was fascinating when I asked her where her clients came from and indeed where are they coming from. Um, originally she said, well, actually I don't know, kind of half joking, I guess. But she started with that one woman show and now works with other people on that. And she's described that as an incredible vehicle for transformation. And of course she knows, like she said, she's done one. And I think once again, clients are simply attracted to working with us because of the way we show up. She says she wasn't doing things to get clients. It just happens. And in a way, that's very often my experience too. Now, you know, of course, there's things to do. There are things to do to connect, ways to connect. Um, but really, you know, other than that, we're showing up as ourselves. That's what people connect to. I loved how she spoke about getting to the soul and essence of who of who we are beyond all those trainings and accreditations that's kind of the same thing right and certainly in my experience that is when things can really take off and then there's her final message to coaches it's not about you fundamental that one so much in this episode i hope you've enjoyed it too i'm very excited in particular about the next two guests i have coming up for you so do keep listening thank you once again for your support and for listening to this episode i'll see you next time and i wish you much love and joy you